right. Well, this is uh, part eight in a series called A Solid Foundation. And I just kept hearing the Lord say, just preach the word today, Mitch. I said, well, I think I will. So, but he, he's always given me something fresh. So we've been talking about a solid foundation for dealing with life as we know it in the future, which is changing now. We're, we're in the middle of some gargantuan changes worldwide. I keep saying that week after week because it's true. Jesus is coming back, and, uh, and uh, are you excited about his coming? So, you know, make personal preparations. And part of that means making, uh, that means detaching yourself from things you think you just got to have. The only thing I need is Jesus. And the only thing I'm taking to heaven with me is the relationships with people that I know. Yes or no? Everything else you leave behind. All your stuff, all your gadgets. You're going to leave your iPhone behind, your Android behind, your computer behind, all that stuff. People spend all that time. It's not going to be there. What you going to do in heaven when you don't have your phone to look at? I mean, what you going to do? That's what we ought to be doing now, right? So uh, uh, anyway, um, God is good. And uh, what we're preparing for uh, the challenges that will be coming in our future. God's always uh, made a way of escape for his people. Is that true? And so in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us, the Bible says, and gave himself for us. So we've talked about the importance of establishing just a good foundation of the word of God in your life. And I'm not finished with that. I'll get back to it. The Holy Spirit recently has just been taking me on a, a strange journey of changing what I plan to say. And how many know that's okay with me? But uh, anyway, I'll get back to some of the things about the Word. But right now, I want to talk about the importance of praying. We need the Word, and you need to know how to pray if you're going to be successful in God. Yes or no? Somebody said prayer is spiritual breathing. Samuel Chadwick, and I'm sorry, uh, I just got this on the spur of the moment. Uh, my guys are well prepared. Thank you, Sean. How about give Sean a hand? He, you don't know, but Sean, you know, he, he screens all my stuff, and about every Saturday, you get new stuff, is that true? So my notes are available online, victorychurchraleigh.com. And what I planned to say, scroll way down, like the fifth or sixth page. And that's what I was going to say, because God gave me other stuff yesterday. So it's all in the notes. And uh, anyway, Samuel Chadwick, which is not in the notes, said this. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. Satan fears nothing from prayerless studies, teaching, and preaching. But then he says, he laughs at our toil, mocks. At our wisdom, but the last phrase is worth the whole thing, but trembles when we pray. Did you know the enemy hates for you to pray? I agree with that, whatever that is. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So, uh, you know, the enemy keeps you from praying because he knows prayer can defeat him. Pr praying in faith and standing in faith can keep him from being able to control your life. So I want to talk about that just a little bit today. Let me recap real quickly. I began talking about the importance of prayer a couple of weeks ago and um, talk, talking about prayer being a solid a part of a solid foundation for our future. <clears throat> Last week I mentioned the fact that Satan got his start in heaven as, a, as a, an angel of God. Sin was found in him. He was kicked out of heaven along with uh, what Bible scholars think maybe as much as a third of the angels. How many angels? I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, but there's a lot. A lot, lot more than devils, a lot more than devils, a lot more than people. So they're always working, always doing stuff. So all behind the scenes. So nonetheless, he fell to the earth. And when he fell to the earth and God created Adam and Eve, he uh, enticed Eve to uh, disobey God and Adam to sin against God. And... Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, and I mentioned all this last week, their fellowship with God was broken. But then an unusual thing that God did with Adam and Eve was he gave a bit of his all authority universe wide to Adam and Eve to oversee the earth and to keep it. They became God's under rulers uh, over the earth. He told them to have dominion over the earth. And so when Adam and Eve obeyed Satan, uh, he actually that he, he got the, the uh, authority that God had given them. It was transferred to him. And uh, he began his tyrannical reign with, uh, with fallen angels and, and demon forces and demon spirits since that time. And he has a legal right uh, to do what Jesus said in John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and to destroy. The good news is, at the second coming of Christ, he's dispossessed of the authority that he got when, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. And he's placed in this place called the lake of fire along with the fallen angels, the devils, and anybody that obeys him. Aren't you glad that uh, the person that aggravates you the most, his doom is set, sealed, and sure. And he's going to be paid back for all the mess he's created in your life. Right? 
So that's at the second coming of Christ. Until then, uh, we're supposed to stand our ground and occupy until we come. And God wants his kingdom to be seen on earth through us. Yes or no? So last week, I'm going real fast, just recapping real quickly. Last week, go back to the, it's all online, the video, the audio, the notes are even there. And we looked at uh, uh, Genesis 1, Psalm 8, uh, and showed, showing the fact that God gave Adam and Eve a, 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 a time-limited, it seems, dominion over the earth under his all authority. And then we looked at Hebrews chapter 2 last week. We looked at Luke chapter 4, and we saw the fact that even though God gave Adam and Eve dominion, they no longer have it because they gave it away when Adam and Eve sinned. And that's just what I said. And so until the time that Jesus came, you know, Satan kind of had his way with humanity and it was a terrible time. God created a covenant with the Jewish race um, and uh, God made a number of covenants and God is a covenant keeping God and God promised to take care of his people if they would just get into covenant with him. God appeared to Abraham uh, out in the middle of nowhere and he said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to bless all the nations of the world Abraham the Bible says believed God and it was counted to him for right standing with God Abraham is the father of what we call faith today God cut a covenant with Abraham and all of his offspring and God said to Abraham I'm going to bless you more than you can ever imagine and every family in the world will be blessed if they just honor me God said the way you've honored me by walking by faith yes or no so Jesus came on the scene you know several thousand years later Jesus is the first man since Adam and Eve sinned that was born in fellowship with God out from under Satan's jurisdiction he had an immortal body that that means he was not subject to death Jesus controlled the seas Jesus calmed storms Jesus caused dead people to be raised up demon spirits fell at his feet Jesus had authority before he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus bore our sins. He bore all of the penalty that it was, was our due because of our, our uh, uh, lack of relationship with God. All of us are born in sin. Jesus took our sin. And the Bible says when he died, he didn't die for himself. He died for us. And then Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he conquered Satan and he took the keys or, or the authority of hell and death from Satan. And Jesus stood before his disciples and said, All authority is given to me both in heaven and in earth. Go ye, go you, you go. And so what Jesus was saying there, I am the representative new creation man. I'm the first absolute human since Adam and Eve sinned, born in fellowship with God that has the authority that the first man has. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the second Adam. He calls him the last Adam. Jesus has authority. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he's the first person, the first person to represent this new a race of people called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body of Christ. Yes or no? And Jesus, for the first time when he was raised from the dead, gave the authority that Adam and Eve uh, had, that they gave away to the devil. He gave it back to the church. That's more exciting than what you're saying. So the only people on earth right now that have authority over the devil are you. Or are believers that know who they are. You're the only, so, so if anybody's going to do anything about his tyrannical reign, about his hindrance in human life, about his making, uh, making, uh, wrecking carnage and havoc in a family or in a person or in an individual, how many know it's going to be somebody like you and me? So that's the reason that we need to pray. So I've just summarized real quickly there. Today I want to talk about exercising your authority in Christ. And God changed my whole message yesterday while I was preparing for this and looking over the notes I had made some, some time before. So we need to live every day with an understanding of who we are in Christ. Let me say this. Satan and his kingdom expect every human being to yield to their rulership. You ever thought about that? I mean, you might be a believer. You might carry a Bible. Maybe you're one of those people that have a Bible in the, on the dash of your car. I see them a lot sometimes on the back window. I don't know why people, I haven't figured out why they do that. I wonder if they read it during the week. Anyway. Or, uh, you know, you may be one of those. Maybe you attend church every week. I don't know. But you know what, Satan, I don't care. He doesn't care if you attend church. 
He doesn't care if you go to Bible studies. He doesn't care if you go to small groups. He, he doesn't care as long as you don't believe anything that you're hearing and don't do anything with it. As long as you do nothing with it, he's still got you bound. Let me tell you what Satan is like. I, I mean, uh, he, he wants every person under his tutelage. He wants every person under his control. If you make Jesus Lord, he says, well, I don't like that, but you know what? I'm going to keep you innocuous. I don't want you to believe anything that, that somebody says in that book to you or that you read. But when you start to believe it, apply it to your life and then act in faith, his days are numbered as far as controlling you. Yes or no? But we've got something to do with that. 1 Peter 5, chapter 8 and 9 says this, Be sober, this is New King James. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then it gives the, it gives the antidote to that. It says, uh, resist him steadfast in the faith. Everybody say, resist him. Everybody say, steadfast in the faith. Now that's the key to overcoming that, that verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. That word be sober, I've said this so many, I've preached this so many times. But let me say it again. Be sober, the word sober actually is a reference, the Greek word's a reference to the human mind. And really when it says be sober, it's saying uh, control yourself. But it's not just controlling your body, it's controlling how you think about your life. So you could say be, be mentally self-controlled and then King James says be vigilant. Uh, other translations say be, be watchful. Uh, one says be ever on your guard. I like that, don't you? So be mentally self-controlled. Watch what comes into your mind. Then he says uh, be ever on your guard as to what comes your way. Because, why? Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, and what's the antidote to that? Resist him, steadfast in the faith. And I've worn this story out, but here it is again. Uh, this is back in the 1980s. Uh, Susan and I were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were visiting my parents who, who uh, walked, took a power walk. You know what a power walk is? It's not just kind of, you know, walking real casually. No, a power walk is like, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s, and they're like in their... Uh, late 50s, and I'm like, will you please slow down? I, I'm, I'm, I gotta catch my breath, they're walking fast. And so we're walking down this dirt road, here comes a big bulldog, I hear him in the distance, woo, woo, I mean, he's just barking, 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 and you know, he's got these big jaws and this big mouth and this, you know how their lips just kind of move in the wind? Well, they're moving in the wind, I could see him. And then the closer I got, I could hear him go, woo, 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 the closer he got to us. And I said to mom and dad, I said, uh, you know, this dude right here, he's not happy with us walking on the road. He's, on, he's coming towards us. Aren't y'all concerned about what I see? They laughed at me, so it's just happy, Mitch. Don't bother with me. Well, he don't look happy to me. It don't sound happy either. It looks like he's going to hurt us when he gets to us. Ah, oh, you'll see, you'll see. He kept coming. He kept barking. He never slowed his gait, and we never slowed down. But when he got to us, it's like he came to a screeching halt and, and sat down his little stub tails just moving. And when he looked up at us, and we stopped, and when he looked up at us, he went, <laughs> and stuck his tongue out, and he had no teeth. No kidding, I promise. And, and the moment I saw that, my mind went right to this verse, and I thought, that's exactly what the devil's like. He's got a big bark, but no bite. If you don't let him bite. He's innocuous if you understand the process, if not, he can, he can tear you up and make your life very, very miserable. And that's what he does to a lot of people. So the kingdom of God attacks, and you just, you just got to understand that we personally, you personally in Christ, have authority over the devil and demon spirits. Now, a lot of people say, ho-hum, I don't even believe in the devil or, or demon spirits. So he already got you bound. Scriptures, scripture reveals the greatest battles are with the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in high places who underneath the surface are, are like the mob boss that rules uh, the, the city, that rules the mayor, that rules the, that rules the head of the police force, that tells everybody what they ought to be doing and what laws to, uh, what laws to enforce and what laws to ignore. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what the enemy is doing today, and that's what he's doing worldwide, uh, and you, can't, you can hardly put your hand on him. He's subterfuge. He operates in subterfuge. That means underneath the surface. You don't realize he's there controlling, conniving, scheming, planning, 
But the whole time his plan is, is to pull the spiritual rug out from under your life, make you sick, make you broke, make you tired, make you aggravated, make you angry with everybody around you and keep you fearful of life. And that's the will of the satanic kingdom and the dark kingdom. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. Yes or no? So you got to know this, and this is what I want to hone in on today. Satan generally attacks in two ways. I like to make things really simple. You know, if the Bible is preached properly, a child can understand it. Jesus said, you know, let the little children come to me. So you know what? The things that work, children can understand. One thing you're going to find out about me, I'm a very pragmatic person. I do in life what works. If it doesn't work, I cut it off. Let me, oh gosh, can I say this? Do it? You want me to do it? Just egg me on. I promise. Oh, God, I don't want to see. Okay, so I was 18 and a half. When you get older, you cut the half off. Well, I'm so-and-so. Well, I was 18 and a half. And God called me to preach. And you know why? I didn't like that idea. You know why? Because, you know, six months prior, one of my major goals in life was to stop going to church because I don't need that junk. I had some other words to use for it, but I didn't need it. Because, you know, it's fluff, it's foo-foo, it does nothing, it means nothing. These people at church live just like everybody else. That's what I thought. And maybe some of them did. But then I thought, well, you know what, I don't want to be an innocuous preacher. God said, when God told me to go into ministry, and then I found out eventually I was going to be a pastor, I didn't want to be an innocuous pastor, get up and do my little thing, and everybody, make everybody happy. My goal is not to make you happy. My goal is to preach the word of God and, and let it change your life and let the Holy Spirit move in you. How many hear what I'm saying? I don't know why I said all that. The satanic kingdom has two goals. You just got to know this. So I do what works. That's the issue. I, I like to minister because it works. I minister out of who I am, not because I preach something that's up here in the head. It, I do what works. If it don't work, I'm going to cut it off, find what does, right? So, so I refuse to fill my head with fluff and things that don't work in my life. You hear me? Um, I've got a book service I'm, I have a, I'm a part of, and it has thousands and thousands and tens and tens and thousands of books. But you've got to watch what you put in your head, because what you put in your head can translate into life. So I don't want my head full of mess and garbage. I want my head full of something that's going to translate into, into successful life, which means pleasing God in all things and ministering life to others as he directs me. Yes or no? So I've always lived my life very pragmatically. And now what I'm going to tell you is very pragmatic. This is how I live my life. And I learned this kind of in the school of hard knocks, um, but I learned it fairly quickly after I came to the Lord. Satan's kingdom attacks you in two ways. Number one, he'll put a thought in your mind. Secondly, he'll put a feeling on your body. And if you listen to the thought and agree with it and act on it, it will, it will uh, enliven your emotions and you'll start feeling that thought. And then you'll put that thought, thought into action or practice. That's the reason the most important thing you'll ever do is watch your thought life. Yes or no? That's why I said be mentally self-controlled. Be ever on your guard. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, it's thoughts. Thoughts and feelings. Thoughts and feelings can be your friends or thoughts and feelings can be your enemy. And, and if thoughts and feelings are never your enemy, you're probably in bondage to the devil. If you're not saying no, then you don't have a big yes yet. I go through my life saying, mm, not doing that, mm, not thinking that, mm, not going there, mm, not doing that. And in juxtaposition to that, there's something else going, go there, do that, say that, be that. I say, I think I will, I think I will. So let me ask you a question. Are you faith-oriented or are you feeling-oriented? Are you feeling, let me say it a different way, are you feeling oriented or faith in God's word oriented? What are you? There's a, there's a better way to live than just living according to the course of this age, the way everybody else lives. There is a law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
can unhook you from the curses that came on the earth through sin. You know, you got the laws of gravity. I found out real quickly when I was a kid about the law of gravity. I hooked me a cape around my, I got me a towel, big old towel, one of those beach towel things, you know. And my dad had just built a garage and we had some really soft, loamy dirt in the, in, the, in the field right beside the garage. I said, well, Superman can fly, so I took off. And I had a mouthful of dirt at the end. I found out real quick, gravity works 100% of the time. So you think about gravity, but guess what overrides gravity? There's the laws of lift and the laws of thrust. When you turn that engine on in that airplane, and then you cause the, the, uh, the air that's, that, that is coming on those wings to do certain things, it lifts that big, heavy plane that weighs tons and tons and tons and and tons and tons, it lives it above the gravity of the earth. Yes or no? That's an amazing feeling. Did you know the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus can do the same thing in your personal life? That it's possible to live beyond fear, live above fear, live above mental torment, live in the peace of God, live in the health that Jesus purchased for you, live without condemnation, live without inferiority, live without being broke? Is it possible? There's a law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So if you believe the thoughts and yield to the feelings that come uh, on, mostly on a daily basis, that'll keep you trapped to the gravity of the earth. But if you get a hold of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it will be in your life like the laws of lift, the laws of thrust, and you can come out from under Satan's control, yes or no? So see, while I'm talking, you ask yourself some questions. Is, is the enemy dominating me? Are fears dominating me? Is what I think and feel, is it motivated by God? Is it motivated by God's word? Is it in agreement with what the Holy Spirit work, uh, wrote in the book called the Bible? Is it, or am I just thinking and living like everybody else? It's amazing to me. I've been, you know, I've been, doing, I've been in ministry this year uh, 42 years. That's amazing to me. Well, this year, 40, what is it? Yeah, 41 years. But it's amazing to me. How many people say they believe the Bible, but they don't live like they do? You know what that tells me? They, they're still under the weight of gravity, under the weight of sin and its control, Satan and his control. The only way to get loose from that is to learn to walk by faith. How many hear me? Spiritual warfare has to do with what you choose to do. Spiritual warfare is not out here in the atmosphere somewhere. Spiritual warfare is between your ears. It starts out with what you think about yourself, what you think about God. Are you willing to believe what the Bible says in contradiction to what the culture says? Are you willing to live what God says in contradiction to what your feelings tell you, your thoughts tell you, your family tells you? Some people are bound because they can't get past their family. I don't mean to holler, but good grief. Listen, you know what, Bob? Listen, I started a church in 1988 in a, in a town in South Carolina. had 6,000 people. We, had, we almost had as many people in the church I came from in Tulsa we had in this town. And everybody knew everybody's business. They didn't call it business, it's business. Everybody knew everybody's business and everybody's kin to everybody. So, you know, somebody comes to church, they bring their family and then all the families are kind of interconnected. Oh, that's Aunt so-and-so. That's my third cousin. That's my second cousin. That's my first cousin. That's and it's all messed up. And then I found some people that divide their families. Well, I go to so-and-so church. I ain't going to your church because you're not, you're not my denomination. And then you know what some people said? Well, you see, I got this grave plot. And it's been paid for by granddaddy. And all my family's got a grave plot. I just got to come to this church right in. I said this right in. They talk that way. I got to come to this church right in. And if I say it, that church right there, then I'm going to get to be buried right there beside my granddaddy, grandmama, my aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew, blah, blah. And you know what they wouldn't do? They chose that over believing the Bible. Now, you know, as a 30-year-old boy, that bothered me. Would that bother you? Maybe you come from that kind of family. You got to get past family. You got to get past what mama thinks or daddy thinks. 
If they don't know God, you got to get past what granddaddy says. He might be ruling. Or, or maybe you got a matriarchal family where there's one woman and she rules everybody, including your daddy, all your brothers and sisters, and you too. And she is a big mouth. And you got to get past her. Yes or no? Am I talking where you're living yet? To do that, you got to make a choice to walk by faith. I made a choice when I was 18. If the Bible says it, I'm going to choose to believe it. Come what may. That means if I lose friends, I lose friends. That means if there's something I'm doing, I need to quit. And it's a pet of mine, I quit it. Then it also means if God tells me to do something, it's it's just not in my design. It's not in my personality. I'm going to do that. Lord, you're going to enable me to do what, what you want me to do, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporary, things that are not seen are eternal. And that's the change that's got to take place. Are you willing to look not at what you can see with your physical eyes and feel with your physical body? Am I willing to look beyond the physical and believe what God said in His Word when there's no feeling or sight to it? That's what it takes to get free from Satan's dominion and control. He's got a legal right to be here until the lease God gave Adam and Eve runs out. And I talked about that last week, if you didn't hear that. He's got a legal right to be here and he runs roughshod over people who do not know how to walk by faith. You can be a Bible scholar and not know how to walk by faith. You can know the Hebrew and the Greek. And if you don't walk by faith, Satan can still dominate your life. You can be a small group leader, but if you don't act on the word, the devil can dominate your life. Did you hear what I'm saying? You can pastor a church, and you could have been in the ministry for dozens of years, but if you don't walk by faith, the devil can dominate your life. That's a whole lot to say. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. That word walk, the Greek word means to conduct your manner of life from the time you get up until the time you go to bed. And when you snore in your sleep, you live that way too. It means a a 24-7. It's a 360-degree lifestyle. We walk, we live a lifestyle of faith, not one of sight. A A new century version, we live by what we believe, not by what we can see. You know, an instrument-rated pilot, I've never piloted an airplane. You would not want to get on a plane if I was in the driver's seat. But they tell me if you're an instrument-rated pilot, you're taught, you you have to be trained under a hood that literally keep you from seeing outside the plane. All you can see is the instruments, and you've got the the, uh, coach beside you, and he says, look at the instruments, and you feel like you're going down when you're going straight. You feel like you, he says turn left, you might feel like you're turning right. You've got to learn those instruments, and you've got to learn to depend on what the instruments tell you, not on what, uh, what your feelings tell you, right? And that's the way it is as a believer. We've got to be willing to not live by what we see and not live by what we feel. When you learn to live by faith, you can overcome the effects of Satan's control on this planet. Is that good news? 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight. Everybody say fight. Fight the good fight of faith in conflict with evil. Take hold on eternal life, to which you call this is amplified, and for which you made the good confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses. And I've got below that word in the notes, the word fight. He can put it on the screen. The word fight there, agonizomai. what, What word do you hear in there? Agony, I've said it so many times, to contend for victory in public games. Uh, it's translated several different ways. Generally came to mean to fight, to wrestle, figuratively the task of faith and persevering amid temptation and opposition. It also came to mean to take pains to wrestle as an inward contrast, what straining every nerve to the utmost most towards the goal. And some of the uh, Greek Roman games of the day, the wrestlers would wrestle and the one and the one that lost usually died. So you're, you're talking about some a strenuous activity in this word here, where we get our word agony denotes strenuous activity to the point that man, you've given like you've given this contest every single thing you've got. 
question, are you doing that with your faith? Or is it just, well, I don't think I'm going to do that today. Well, then you'll probably fail. Fight the good fight of faith. Why do you say that? Because faith is it's not easy to go by what you can't see, to live by what is not seen. Yes or no? It's not easy to tell your mind to hush when it's telling you this is happening or this is going on or that's going to happen. How many know it takes something? It takes guts. And you've got to be willing to stand your ground when it's not fun and life is not easy and it's difficult. Walking by faith, but what walking by faith will do, it will override the laws of sin and death. It will override Satan's activity in your life. Yes or no? 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Learning to live by faith takes us out of his control, enables us to overcome Satan's attacks. Listen to this. Every believer that moves away from Satan's control of your life will have faith tests. If you're not willing to be tested, you'll never get free from Satan's control. Did you hear what I just said? Now, y'all looking at me real strong today. Did you, are, are you willing to be tested? It, I know it is. Most people want the easy way. If you want the easy way, go find another church. That's terrible. I want you to come back next Sunday. But if you want to ease it, well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. He said, if you love me, take up my cross, do what I did. Be willing to give up your life. If you give up your life, you'll find your life. But if you keep your life, you'll lose everything you got in me. That's where we are in America today. We want the easy way. We want the instant way. We want it to happen right now. That's not the way life is, my friend. You may think, well, you got a powder puff job, Pastor. I wish you would walk in my stinking shoes sometimes. Huh? One day. You don't know what it took for me to get here. Then you don't know what it takes to stay here. It's, it's a life of rugged discipline. It ain't easy. And it's not always fun. There's a lot of things I miss. But I have to miss them if I want God's best. Did you hear what I'm saying? And if you're going to walk with God and walk with Jesus and seek first the kingdom of God, and you're going to have to walk the straight and narrow way. Part of that walk is living by faith and determining that you're not going to live by what your mind tells you, the way everybody else lives around you, and you're going to tell your feelings where they can go, and you're going to have to do it on a fairly frequent basis. Yes or no? Every believer that comes out from under Satan's tutelage or control has to learn to walk by faith. Now, I want to show you how to do it real quickly. We've got a few minutes left. Jesus was challenged at the very beginning of his ministry. You realize that? I mean, he lived 30 years. I always, you know, you may wonder, why did God have Jesus, you know, be incarnate as a man? And then he only ministered three and a half years. Well, it, it doesn't take long for dynamite to do its job. Right? <laughs> no, Jesus was raised just like you are, faced the same temptations you face, had to overcome the same thoughts and feelings that me and you do. He was at all points tempted like as we are, but when he started his ministry, he had to go through an ultimate test. He fasted for a while. Then Satan came. I'm just going to read this, for, and then I've got to move on fairly quickly. Matthew 4, just listen to this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Well, you'd probably want to eat a rock if you hadn't eaten for 40 days. That's what the devil said to him. But Jesus told him, verse 4, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, everybody say, the scriptures say. 
That's the second time Jesus said that. He will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan said that. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, everybody say, for the scriptures say. You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil uh, went away and angels came and took care of him. There's a lot to say there. Satan can twist scripture. In fact, he'll quote scripture and try to get you out of the will of God. Let me give you some personal examples of what I mean by walking by faith, uh, refusing to go by what you're thinking or feeling. If I'm going to come out of Satan's control, and again, listen, almost 8 billion people on the planet, Satan controls most, most of them, and he still controls mm, a, a large portion of the lives of Christians. Have you ever thought about that? A lot of believers in various areas of life are still in bondage to the devil, even though Jesus has potentially set them free. It's really quiet today. Let me give you some personal examples. Mentally, emotionally, I say that because mind and emotion go hand in hand. That's the soul of man. And you've heard me talk about, about all that before, and I say it frequently, and I will because we need to hear it, understand it. But thoughts and feelings go hand in hand. Feelings are as a result of thinking in a healthy person. You know, again, again, if you've got a, a, a physical problem and the, uh, you know, the, thing, the receptors in your brain aren't working properly, your feelings can be awry and, and not, not exactly be a reflection of your thoughts. But in a healthy person, thoughts and emotions go hand in hand. So if you're thinking Something, you're going to be feeling something, right? So let me tell you just how it worked for me. And I've given this example, but I want to go back to it because I think it clearly explains what I mean by uh, overcoming Satan mentally and emotionally. This was, uh, I'd been in the Lord for not, not even three years. This was, I had been in the Lord, yeah, two and a half years. And uh, anyway, I was in a Bible school, my first Bible school. I started in 1977. So this was uh, the last day of February 1979. Real quickly, the pastor was in sin and nobody knew it. The leader of the Bible school had, was, was in some, some pretty deep sin. Nobody knew it, but I got to pray and figured out something was wrong and did really stupid. I didn't know what I was doing. I said, well, I need to go tell him. You know, maybe he needs to know that. Well, you know, you know he knew it. <laughs> he knew it, but he didn't want anybody else to know it. And he lambasted me for what I said. So he... He said some things to me that really, I mean, they really hurt me. And um, I mean, it threw me into a mental, I don't even know what to call it, a mental fight, a mental battle. Uh, in fact, the enemy was telling me, you're going to lose your mind. Because when I left his office, you know, he had said to me, and I've said this, I've given this illustration. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, one, two, he, said, he, said, uh, two, he said two things to me. He said, number one, he said, you're practicing witchcraft. And he said that because I, it, to him, I was in rebellion to his authority. Well, I wasn't in rebellion to his authority. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. But, it, it, you know, when, how many know when, when you talk to somebody about something that is in their life that they don't want to admit, how many know they can get angry with you? Just imagine that. <laughs> Think of that. That's why, you know, you, gotta, you, you don't cast your pearls, Jesus said, before swine. Now, he's not calling people swine. But what he is saying, you know, say the right thing at the right time and be aware if a person's open or not. Well, I was spiritually immature, didn't know what I was doing. So anyway, he said that to me, and then he said, in five years, you're going to be on your road to hell. And that's all I could hear. I left his, I left his Bible school, and I'm a Bible school student, and all I could hear was, you're practicing witchcraft, boy, you're, you're full of, the, the devil's got a hold of you. That's all I could hear. And then all I could hear was, five, what's the use to keep on doing what you're doing? You're going to be on your road to hell in five years. Your pastor said so. Your pastor said, if your pastor said so, you know you're wrong. You know you didn't sense those things in prayer about him. You know you shouldn't have gone to him. You're a fool. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You're dumb. And y'all, I heard it. Now, now, you know, when that happened, it affected me. And usually the people that hurt you the most are the ones closest to you. Right? A little baby that shoots off some slang language because they heard an adult do it, which is horrible. That doesn't bother you. But if there's somebody you know, 
Or somebody's walking down the street and they say something you know, terrible to you. You go, that person's got a problem. But if somebody you know really well, they say something to you, that hurts. Yes or no? And you've got to deal with it. So I mean, every day when I got up, I heard his words all day long as I, as I tried to go to school and work. Uh, I heard his words. I heard his words day and night, 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 day and night. And I felt absolutely awful. I can't describe the feelings of ostracization from God and, and from the other students in the school. Nobody else knew what he said. I wouldn't tell anybody. But his words hounded my mind, and I had to find a way to get free. And I said, God, you're going to have to help me. I don't want to have to go see a psychologist or maybe even a psychiatrist, but I literally, I can't think during the day. What am I going to do? I felt like I was falling apart. I hope you never have that kind of experience. But I did, and, and you know, looking back on it, I'm glad I did because it taught me something. I got desperate. You know, about, I don't know, several days into that, I mean, waking up with those, those phrases in my mind. You know, you're practicing witchcraft. You're going to be on your road to hell in five years. Uh, I, I, it devastated me uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It grabbed me. It's like somebody stuck a dagger in my heart. And I couldn't even hear God. I, I couldn't. I tried to sing. It's hard to sing at church. It's hard to read my Bible. I said, God, what am I going to do? And you know what I found out? I found out the Word of God can override any wrong thinking or any wrong feeling. Now, if you were here a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I had you memorize a verse. So if you were here on that Wednesday night, help me say this verse. So I got a hold of Romans. This is where I got it. Romans 8, 38 and 39. If you know it, say it out loud. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, nor things, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I made that my musing. I made that what I thought about all day, and I purposely refused to allow my mind to think on what he said. And y'all, it didn't go on for a few days. This went on for February, March, April. It was, it was finally into May before I got physical feeling relief and mental relief. Otherwise, if I wasn't uh, using my mind to do my job or, or, or have a, 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 a verbal exchange with somebody talking to them, I put my mind on that verse right there all day long, all day long. Uh, I mean, I'm working for, I'm persuaded. I work in a grocery store. I put cans on the shelf. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to put a can on the shelf. Or I'm persuaded, neither death nor life or anything. And I just said it over and over and all day, all day. I'm going to lunch, I'm saying it. I'm, going, I'm walking from my car. I, I ate lunch in my car, coming back to the, to the uh, grocery store I worked in. I was saying it out loud. I'm working on the aisle. I'm saying on, on the way home, driving home, which is about a 20-minute drive from where I worked. I'm saying that all the whole time. When I get home, I'm eating the supper my mother prepared for me. I'm saying that out loud. I'm saying what God said. I'm saying what, well, not out loud. I'm saying it in my, in my head over and over and over again. And then I'd read my Bible at night, and then I'd go to bed, and before I went to bed, this verse would come to mind. I wake up at night, I'm thinking about that. You know what happened? One day, I got up, and all of that stuff had left. That's what the Word of God will do for you. Did you hear me? So what are you obsessing about? What are, what, what are you obsessing about mentally? What has your emotions all gnarled up? Maybe you just ended a relationship of some kind. Maybe it's a man, woman, boy, girl thing. I don't know. Or maybe it's a, uh, something at your job. Maybe, maybe there's, you didn't get the promotion at the, at the job. Or maybe somebody said something and you've been censured where you work. I don't know what it is. Something will hit you. When you do, though, how do you overcome it? By faith in God's word. Did you hear what I'm saying? Now, you know, I've, I've taken that one example and I don't know how many thousands of times in my life somebody said something, somebody's done something, something's happened, you know, I made a misdeed, a misjudgment, and I've gone right back to that. I said, well, what does, what does God say about it? And I've, and I've gotten scripture and put it in my mind. How many know the word will help you overcome? It is written, it is written, it is written. Physically, I do the same thing. Physically, if you're going to overcome Satan's attacks, You've got to choose. You've got to choose to act on God's word the moment physical attacks come to your physical body. Now, I, I actually looked this up because I thought I was right. It's the first week in March, 1985. It was actually March the 6th. It was a Wednesday. 
And the enemy attacked me with a worst case, one of the worst cases of the flu I've ever had in my life. In fact, it was absolutely horrible. I was listening to the word of God. I had it on cassette tape by my bed. I canceled. I was counseling director at a large church. And I've told the story before, but um, I uh, called my secretary and said, I'm not coming in today because uh, I could hardly talk or breathe. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, this is pre-COVID-19 days. Now, you kind of dealt with life in a more practical way pre-COVID-19. Yes or no? No reason to go there and wear that one out. But I'm laying there meditating on Scripture, and the Lord said to me, Mitch, because Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty four, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. In fact, prior to that, he said, Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says to the mountain, that is the problem, be removed and be cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass. He'll have what he says. Therefore, I say to you, because of that, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you've got it before you get it and you'll have it. And I had prayed and I believed I received and the Lord said to me in the context of that, because I was meditating on that, he said, Mitch, if you believe you're well, then get up. And start praising me and start acting like you're well. So I got up and I was walking around my bed. You know, my bed at the time, I had these big, I was a poster bed. So I'm walking around the posts on the bed all the way from one wall to the next wall all the way around. I spent 10, 15 minutes just worshiping and praising God and thanking God that I believed that I received healing for my body. And this was about, I don't know, 9, 9.30 in the morning. And I'm feeling really bad. I'm feeling like sitting down, not walking around. But I kept worshiping and praising God and just thanking him for healing because I believed I received my healing. All of a sudden, that whole thing broke off me. All of it. All the stuffiness. I'm not making this up. The stuffiness left. All the mess in my lungs. It just dried up. I, it, it was supernatural. I don't know what to tell you except all of it left. And I found myself no longer with the flu. I thought, wow. <laughs> and then I had the impression... Tell your secretary you're coming to work. Well, she called all my people back, and I worked that day. And I wasn't sick anymore. Now, you know, God did that to me. Maybe it was a supernatural thing that day. But it taught me that when the enemy affects your, attacks your body, you don't play with it, you don't mess with it, and you don't wait. Get on it right then. Did you hear what I'm saying? And let me just uh, let you in. If you're a young person, as you age, you're going to find out you have a human body. You're going to find out you have a back and you have legs and joints and knees and elbows and fingers. And you're going to find out all kinds of things. And you're going to slow down a little bit. Now, you know, it's hard for me to slow down, but I've learned. But you can do it in health without sickness and disease. The moment sickness, infirmity, weakness hits your body in any way, the first thing that you should do is what does God say? Well, Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, verse 5, for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You know, you start saying what God says about you first, and then you, you act on God's promises, ask God to heal you, and then act like, act like he has, and then talk like he has. How you doing? Well, I feel just awful. Well, no. How you doing? You can say, well, I believe I'm healed. Well, you don't sound healed. Sound awful. Worst I ever heard you say, sound in your life. Well, it may be true, but you know, I believe I received my healing. Well, I think you're cuckoo. Well, you know what? The devil thinks I'm cuckoo too. A lot of other people do too, so that's just fine. But I promise you I'm fine. According to God's word, I believe I'm healed. I have received healing thousands of times from thousands of different kinds of maladies over the years. How many hear what I'm saying? And how do you, that's how you get out from under Satan's control. 1981, as I close, 1981, I got out of the will of God after the second Bible school that... that uh, Susan and I graduated from, became an associate pastor out of the will of God. Can you be in ministry out of the will of God? Yes, I've showed that you can. I'm a perfect example. I'm in it now, but I wasn't then. And then the enemy attacked my finances. I worked, Susan worked, but also was an assistant associate pastor of the church in my hometown. And uh, there was more month than money every single month. And 
you know, we were just scraping by. I mean, you know, you got to chew a can of tomato soup for lunch with some saltine crackers. I don't necessarily like tomato soup with saltine crackers. Or, you know, you just eat, you know, just eating whatever you can get, just a little bit, you know. And, uh, you know, we just tried to find a way to make ends meet, you know. And, uh, and you know, that, here's what I found out. The enemy will try to get lack and need. He tries to get it inside of you. And if he could get you to think lack, think need, think want, think less, then he'll make that a part of your lifestyle. Did you hear what I said? So, you know, I didn't like where I was. I found out that I got out of the will of God and said, well, Lord, help me get back in your will. And he supernaturally did. But during that period of time, I spent a lot of time just meditating on scriptures where God promised to meet my needs like Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 34, I think is 19. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And I would just say those scriptures over and over again. He that sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Every man as he's purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you have insufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply your need. And make you a blessing to others. How many hear me? I just started saying it over and over and over again because need and lack started coming into my inward person and I drove it out with the word of God. Get, Satan will attack you in varying areas of life if what I'm, is what I'm saying. And you've got to be willing to walk by faith. How do you walk by faith? Say about yourself what God says about you. Say it out of your mouth and don't stop. And don't say one thing to one person and one thing to another person. Keep it the same all the time. If you say it to your wife, say it to your child. Say it to the person at work who doesn't know the Lord. You may have to change how you say it, but you say the same thing. How are you doing? Well, by faith, I believe I'm good. Are you feeling well? I didn't think about how I'm feeling, but according to God's word, I believe I'm okay. Yes or no? You're not lying, but you're refusing to allow your thoughts and your feelings and your circumstances to rule you. And when you live that way, you come out from under Satan's control. That is living by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What law are you living by today? Are you living by the law of the spirit of life or is the, is the laws of this world of sin and death ruling you? See, my faith determines which one. 